Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of CJR. Today we're going to take a look at Slate and what's happening with Slate and more broadly what's happening with the digital journalism world, which is in quite a tumult right now. This is Dave Uberti. Hello. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. I'm good. You're the you're the host emeritus of, kick, of the kicker. <laughs> yeah, right. Does Aren't that come you? with a tenure track? No, you 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 help get this thing going for CJR, and now you're um you've graduated onto bigger and better things. But so let's talk about this story for about Slate, which is on CJR.org right now. Everybody should read. Um, tellingly, when you first turned in the piece, the headline you put on it was, "What the hell is happening with Slate?" Which um, the editor and me changed. <laughs> maybe probably we should, a good call. Maybe we should have left <laughs> it like that. Um, but what drove the question in your mind? What were you? Why were you approaching it that way? So, I mean, as someone who's read Slate and followed Slate's podcast for a long time, I've just mo- noticed a lot of moving parts over the last few months. In particular, they've been having this ongoing labor struggle within Slate with their new, newly unionized staff, and then in, in addition to that, um, the longtime chairman of Slate Group, Jacob Weisberg, part of the company, as did Julia Turner, who's editor-in-chief of the magazine, and a number of their top uh, writers, uh, including Jamel Bowie, who's become a real force uh, among the commentariat, I guess. Uh, So I was just kind of curious on how the magazine was approaching this new sort of digital media world, given all of those changes. And over the last few years, Slate has been really investing heavily into audio, into podcasting, and it has an incredibly sprawling lineup of different shows from GabFest style shows to more narrative driven podcasts. But more broadly speaking, the question I was really trying to get at is what Slate's sensibility would be in a world in which Donald Trump is sort of the driving factor for all of media. Um, And the conclusion I came to after doing some reporting and talking to a lot of current and former Slate staffers that is decidedly different from the Slate that was founded in 1996. So talk to me about um, where, how you see Slate sort of in the pantheon right now. I mean, we'll get to these, we'll get to the sort of um, tensions there and we'll get to like what's going on in terms of turnover and all that. But, uh, you know, Slate, we, I mean, backing all the way up, it was the sort of, it was the pioneer in the digital publishing space in terms of a smart um, must read for people interested in politics and culture and whatever. Do you remember when you first started reading it and what appealed to you about it? I mean, I probably started reading it when I was a teenager. So this is probably the early 2000s or so. And it really just felt like a like a legitimately digital native publication in a way that no no newspaper was at the time. So I remember reading people like, you know, Jack Schaefer and Chris Hitchens uh, and whatnot when they were you know writing for Slate during the sort of Iraq war period. Um and one of the things that you know I loved about them at the time is they always took these sort of like cheeky takes on the news, right? You know, they have Chris Hitchens was sort of making the case against the case against regime change in Iraq, and yeah. you know, more recently they they had like you know they became famous for the quote unquote slate pitch, um, which became a meme after uh, they wrote wrote a column about how the band Creed was actually a, a good band, which I think was in the late 2000s or so. Um, so they really just had this contrarian sensibility. And I think uh, in many ways it needled a lot of people in sort of left or left of center circles in liberal media. Um, and oftentimes do that from the center of the political spectrum, I, I'd argue. 
Yeah, and I remember they were also, I mean, they were also sort of on, on uh, leading the pack in terms of culture coverage. I remember them doing some of the first sort of um, recaps of TV shows in a kind of oh, a, totally. amazing, compelling way that were sometimes more interesting than the shows that they were writing about. Right, right. And they, you know, they have some, there was some of the pioneering stuff with, with regard to aggregation and explainers and, and whatnot. Um, I spoke to David Plotz, who's a longtime staffer at Slate and eventually edited the magazine. And he was just kind of going through about how a lot of things that we consider really common among digital media outlets uh, really originated with places like Slate or Salon or what have you, which sort of led the pack in some ways for the broader blogosphere. Yeah. And then so what happened was, you know, they they went from being a kind of pioneer out on the edge leading the pack to and then the pack sort of caught up with them. Right. Um, right. And a lot of other people. Probably, and not just not just digital first people, but I mean, I think a lot of what New York Magazine became in terms of totally. their verticals borrowed a lot from Slate, and you know, in in a way, they <clears throat> even though they were quite well resourced, Slate was they eventually got swamped by people with more resources than they had, and, and then you had all of these other digital uh, first uh, outlets also starting starting to surround them and and where are they on your kind of reading list now i mean it's, it's it's interesting because i think you know you mentioned like new york magazine but i think if you, you could also put some other players in the same bucket whether that's vox or the atlantic or the new yorker um or even some sort of national newspaper opinion pages where you, a lot of the think pieces that come out of those places, you know, quick takes off the news, quick takes about, you know, different cultural events, et cetera, are in some cases pretty indistinguishable. You yeah. could switch them out uh, for, you know, between publications fairly easily. And I think the, the, the place where Slate really still does stand out in unique ways is this podcast, just the breadth and the depth of, of the investments that is made in podcasting. I think it has a more distinct sensibility um, in audio than it does in text now in some ways. And that's partly because, you know, the, the podcast space hasn't developed quite as much. There's right. a lot of new money flowing in now. Um, but I think it really has preserved some of that sort of, you know, playful argumentation yeah. uh, from from an earlier era. era. Yeah. But but before we get to the podcast on on the on the words, um, you you write in your piece about the sort of like glut of hot takes um, and how that that whole if that's your thing, um, it's increasingly hard to distinguish yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a couple of things going on. A, you know, all things in media now revolve around Donald Trump. Um, and I think for I mean, as someone speaking personally, as someone who used to write uh, takes professionally, uh, you really get sucked in to the sort of Twitter cable news feedback loop constantly and it's very hard to break through that mm. um so I, I think while Slate has had some really incredible writers who've been able to do that i mean the, the environment in general is tough to break through in and uh you know they've seen some shrinkage in the uh size of their audience their website slate.com yeah and that that sort of coincide with with the general trend in facebook in particular not sending as much traffic back to publishers so in some ways, the era of you know these digital pure plays, whether they're, they're magazines or more newsy sites, having these gigantic audiences and wielding a lot of their influence uh, through their their websites and text, I think 
those days are sort of trending trending away. Well, although there is something kind of um, surprising about this decline that you chronicle, because there are a lot of other people. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking about the Atlantic and 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 certainly just the the big newspapers, the the Times and the Post, who are seeing. I mean, their audience is growing dram- dramatically, and and it's driven. I mean, since Trump, and it's driven in large part based on analysis and opinion. I mean, uh, you know, if you look at what's what are the sort of most read stories at both of those places? It tends to be the op-eds and and the columnists. So, it's to me, it's it's slightly counterintuitive that Slate wouldn't have been able to take advantage of that. Yeah, I think I think that sort of points to the larger business models as well, right? Because I mean, those publications, whether that's the Atlantic or the New Yorker or whatnot, I mean, they they have like a pretty large either print or digital subscriber base. Um, so, I mean, the I would say the core of their business models is around people paying for the publication. Right. And it has been for several several years now, which I think could probably take some pressure off of, you know, writers on the digital side needing to sort of juice their traffic numbers with, you know, various bells and whistles. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think the argument can be made that people who work at those publications might have a little bit more breathing room to take the bigger wax at bigger issues. Yeah. Um, in a way that you know, people who you know work at a, at a truly digital-only outlet or a place that has a pretty nascent membership program or doesn't get a lot of reader revenue and whatnot, they might have more trouble doing. Yeah. So let's talk about podcasts because that's the kind of heart of the new slate. Um, what's what's the sort of scale of what they've got going there? So I thought it was really interesting. They in 2018 collectively saw 160 million downloads from Slate podcasts which translates to about a little bit more than 13 million downloads per month. So not, we don't know exactly how many uh, people who download the podcast listen to them, but that's a pretty huge audience. And when you think about it, it's kicker size to, yeah, exactly, exactly. 160 million, 2019. That's a good goal. <laughs> I mean, that's, 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 that's not true. Actually, I should correct that. <laughs> Go ahead. It's considerable clout, you know, I mean, like, if you have a podcast that gets a few hundred thousand downloads every week, that's, I mean, that's a pretty good place to be in. And they've really expanded more recently into, uh, you know, higher production level podcasts as well. So they have a, they have a daily newscast. Um, they've jumped into that game and they've also had some real success with a narrative podcast called slow burn, which most recently sort of excavated, uh, the Clinton Lewinsky scandal, uh, in, in sort of long form, um, so yeah, they're, they're attacking that market, which is a very fast-growing market from two different angles, yeah. which I thought was extremely interesting. And, and for a publication that was traditionally like a magazine, it's a, it's a pretty fundamental shift. Yeah. Although, on the other hand, um, Leon Nafuk, who's who I worked with at the New York Observer, um, is is leaving or has left Slate. Um, and and Jacob, who as you mentioned, who is the chairman, who's leaving, is going to start his own podcasting operation also elsewhere, which to me, I mean, if Slate's throwing all in on podcasting and, and, you know, arguably its biggest podcasting success and its chairman are going off to do podcasting elsewhere, that doesn't seem to be a good sign. 
Yeah, man, it certainly is a case that a lot of new money is flowing into podcasting. And the, the people I spoke with uh, who currently or formerly work at Slate are, are definitely cognizant of that. There's you know venture capital money coming into podcasting. There are more entertainment shows, not news shows per se, coming into podcasting. It's not totally clear how that will affect the market for um, you know more news-centric shows or more journalistic shows like Slate has. I mean – one of the things that Slate has done, as I, as I mentioned, is, you know, they've, they've been doing sort of the political GabFest style podcast for a long time, which are, are essentially throwing three smart people in a room and have them talk about the day's news. It's pretty simple. Mm. Um, I find it pretty compelling if you have, you know, compelling speakers on the show. Yeah. Um, but that that's becoming increasingly crowded. So they're they're essentially moving toward more professionally or highly produced shows like you see in a daily daily podcast or you know a, a special series like you saw with slow burn they also did a show on uh, the standoff on ruby ridge which i think was sort of a, a mini series four or five episodes and uh, they indicated to me that they'd be doing sort of more shows in that general realm moving forward hmm. so what do you think this um what do you think this brand is going to look like sort of in a couple of years or even in a year I mean, it's interesting. I think, you know, I think in general, it seems like they're getting more and more of their influence from from podcasts. So I think, you know, even if it's not a cognizant strategic shift on on their part, they're generally trending toward being less of a digital magazine and more of an audio production company. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm I'm not saying that they're going to nix writing or consciously move away from writing, particularly as the 2020 election gets closer. But I do think that, uh, you know, a publication's identity is is driven in large part by where it gets influence. So, I mean, if, it, if Slate's getting its influence and its audience and increasingly its revenues from audio, um, there's the question of, of whether it's become primarily an audio company. And do you, what do you think about the podcasting boom and and possible glut and possible bus down the road i mean we're we're i mean i you uh, personally i think that you know it's incredibly exciting there's all kinds of new stuff but there's way too much um um do you agree with that or and where do you think we are in this sort of life cycle you know growth and then and then winnowing out period i mean i i guess it's hard to say exactly where we'd be on the continuum but it does seem like there's there's still a lot of incredible investment into the space. Mm-hmm. I, I do think, you know, we'll probably get to a point as as happened with sort of text-based digital media where there became so much content that advertising rates really dropped. Yeah. Um, so I think there's danger of that in addition to the fact that, um, you know, the tools used for, for podcasting metrics are pretty underdeveloped. And, you know, a publisher that publishes its podcast through iTunes or some other uh, distribution service doesn't have access to, you know, all of the information it needs to sell sell that content to advertisers. Which is ridiculous so it's, because it's all it is digital ridiculous. downloads. It, it is ridiculous. And that, but I do think that's sort of par for the course of digital media. You see the yeah. same thing with people who publish videos on Facebook. They've, they've been caught either willfully or ignorantly juicing the numbers yeah. uh, multiple times in the last couple of years or so. So there is the question of how much of any digital metric is really just fake. Uh, so I, I think there will be at some point a culling. But as for now, it seems like there's some really exciting stuff going on. Uh, you have people throwing throwing money at, at journalists to go and, and produce good work. So I think that can only be a good thing. 
And then are we uh, have they sort of settled down in terms of turnover and stuff? Are they going to replace Jacob as chairman, or have they said, or where does that ha- what's happening there? So they haven't said. Um, the big thing that happened today, Wednesday, was that after probably about a, a two year or so labor dispute, Slate's union finally ratified his contract. Mm-hmm. That was a big hurdle. That was adding adding a lot of tension yeah. within the organization. Um, so I've, I've been told that they are searching for a full-time editor-in-chief. Uh, Loan Liu is acting editor-in-chief, is previously deputy editor. Um, so it's unclear exactly who will take the full-time job going forward. Um, but yeah, he told me essentially they're they're staffing up. They're looking for a politics editor to cover 2020. They haven't uh, figured out their their plans for that yet. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it, he, he made it sound as if they're looking to hire and replace those people who've left recently. Yeah. Well, Dave, it's great to talk to you again. We we miss you here on the uh, fifth floor of Pulitzer Hall. Great to be back. Yeah. yeah. Um, read Dave's piece at uh, cjr.org um, about Slate. Thanks again. And everybody, thank you, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.